coming at you live from the CSB studios in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey, on the MTR radio network. This is the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you guys aboard. Of course, of course, if you listen very intently, you'll know that it's only a couple days away from pitchers and catchers reporting at spring training. And honestly, for me, it's one of the most exciting times of the year man and I, I don't, honestly don't think you'd be any more fired up if you're a baseball fan right now getting all ready for the whole thing you know it's listen you, you're a baseball fan you got to be pretty excited now you know football is over you just watched the Super Bowl this past Sunday obviously everybody knows the big snowstorm coming in the New York metropolitan area but you know let's be honest man it's fun you know it's something we all got to look forward to we all you know that are baseball fans are going to get into the whole thing and couple more days man pitchers and catchers dude and that's listen there's nothing that fires me up any more than that so you know as we're as we're into this whole thing getting ready to go i have a very good show planned today um we're gonna speak definitely with a couple people uh gavin sakini is uh the mets 2012 first round draft pick he'll be joining the program sometime in the six o'clock hour uh mets I guess minor league pitching coach. I got to find out if he's still with the organization or not. But he, he as of 2012, he was the uh, pitching coach for the Buffalo Bisons, and that was uh, Mark Brewer. He'll be part of the program in a little bit at around 5:30. We'll follow that up with former major league pitcher Justin Miller at about 5:40. So definitely a lot of stuff going on. We're gonna try to get some time to get your calls in, of course, and you know definitely things going on. And listen, I'm gonna start out a couple things, man. Um, if you're following baseball news, you'll see that Felix Hernandez of the Seattle Mariners looks like he's going to get the contract, which is going to make him the highest paid pitcher in Major League Baseball history. And if this contract's correct, if it gets finalized to the terms that we expect it to be, you're looking at a seven-year deal for $175 million. And I think the initial reaction for all those who are, you know, your financial bank experts, you know, the guys that really know everything, they, they want to tell you how much money a player should make, how much pl- how much money anybody should make for that matter. Um, listen, dude, this is this is a deal that is deserving of the guy. And I think the, the pitcher right now, if you look at Felix Hernandez, the perfect game, everything that's going on with him, Listen, he is he is one of the, if not the, in Major League Baseball right now. I know you got your, you know, you're talking about Justin Verlander. I guess if you really had to had to word it correctly or put it in a right frame of mind, uh, Felix is probably number two behind Verlander. And listen, he's going to get paid like he deserves. And the Seattle Mariners have done a very good job, at least from Zach, Jack Zarednik and the whole front office thing. They've they've kind of told you that we are not trading this guy under no circumstances. He is going to be a Seattle Mariner pitcher for the rest of his career. And I think that's something that has to be looked at. But we're going to take a quick second, man, and we will hopefully we get this coming up right. We're going to take this call in, man. We got somebody on the line? Hello. Hello. It's calling you from Ukraine country. Pass Paul show. We got anybody on? I have, uh, my name is Evgeny, I'm calling you to have uh, the conversation about the garden. Hello? Hey, we got you, man. What do you got? I've got a nice, uh, I have a nice events about the garden and landscaping, and I would like to discuss you about that if you're interested. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. You got the wrong number. All right, sorry. And I tell you, man, it never ceases to amaze me what we end up getting on a past ball show. And I'm telling you, when a lot, a lot of you people listening may be like, wow, that was a blooper. I'm telling you, I look at it as radio gold, man. And honestly, I can't wait to cut that up after the show, put that in what's going to be an exciting reel when I put up all the great things that have happened on the past ball show, all the funny moments. You get random people calling in from, you know, from landscape companies and stuff like that. That's, that's what I love about this. That's what I love about doing live radio. You know anything can happen. And I tell you, if you followed me over the course of the last six months, I handled the adversity a little better than I did before. But back on to King Felix, man. He's a guy that, listen, deserves to get paid. And if you're going to go out there and criticize 
you know, the amount of money that baseball players are making nowadays, you got to understand that that's just the way it is. It's not a, you know, this isn't a matter of uh, the guy is overpaid. Listen, they're all overpaid. So you're going to look at a contract that Felix Hernandez gets for $175 million over seven years, which is about $25 million a season. I'm sure it's going to be fluctuating a little bit. He'll make a little less now and maybe a little more later, something like that. But what you're looking at right now is a guy that's getting paid what he deserves. And the Seattle Mariners really had two, two choices to do when they're trying to figure out whether to hold on to King Felix, whether to trade him. You know, what are they going to do? Are they going to keep this guy, you know, through their hole thick and thin as they're rebuilding the franchise? You know, pretty much from the bottom. they got a lot of young players in the minor leagues. They've, you know, known obviously as the number six organization. If you if you follow Twitter, you know, number six org, the kind of team that goes out there and gets whatever position players are out there, Sean Figgins, Jason Bay, you know, that's what they do. They just go out there and add position players. So you're looking at a situation where you got guys – that may or may not be ready to to compete right now. You look at the American League Western Division with the Houston Astros. Yes, that's going to be a benefit to everybody else in the division that isn't the Houston Astros. But listen, they still got a long way to go to catch up to Oakland and to Anna, Los Angeles and to uh, Texas. You know, they, they, these are all teams that are more ready to win right now. The Seattle Mariners obviously aren't. And they've been faced with this dilemma for a while. They got this young star pitcher in Felix Hernandez, a guy that, listen, is one of the top pitchers in all of baseball, but he happens to be on their team, and their team is not going anywhere. So, obviously, you go back the last couple of years, all that's been out there is these trade rumors, these all crazy trade rumors. Hey, is he going to trade to the Yankees? What team wants him? The bottom line is the Seattle Mariners decided that they do not want to part ways with this guy. There is no price that a team can go out there and spend on prospects, position players, pitchers, whatever, that's going to be able to land them Felix Hernandez. So that was the decision they had, whether they want to pay, you know, whether they want to trade him and get a fortune for him. Obviously, the price would not be very cheap. They would get they would raid any minor league system plus some players that could probably help right away to land this guy. And the Seattle Mariners have decided, and hopefully this is the last straw, the last time we have to talk about it, Seattle Mariners have decided that this guy is going to be their franchise pitcher for the duration of his career. And it, it wasn't always looked at that way. It was always looked at, well, you know, a Yankee fan will say, hey, you know, we'll end up getting him on, we'll get him on the Yankees. You know, he'll end up going to this team or that team. I I never saw it. I really never did. I believe Jack Zarednik, when he, when he sat down and said, listen, this is a guy we're holding on to. We may trade everybody else on our team, but Felix Hernandez is staying a Seattle Mariner. And finally, I think you get some closure to this whole situation because you didn't have it before. You didn't have the closure. What you have right what what you have right now is the absolute final product, the last statement that you can make about Felix Hernandez and the Seattle Mariners, and that's he's gonna be a Mariner for life. Talk about David Wright and the Mets being a Met for life. Talk about Derek Jeter being a Yankee for life. In Seattle, the West Coast, northern part of the West Coast, their version of their franchise player is not Randy Johnson. It's not Alex Rodriguez. It's not Ken Griffey Jr. Because all those guys left. It's going to be Felix Hernandez. And honestly, I think when it's all said and done, you're going to look at King Felix as being the greatest Seattle Mariner player in the history of the franchise. And he has the next seven years of $175 million dollars to go and I think that's a great move for the Mariners and let's be honest I've told you all along that I'm a guy that listen I'm in favor of parity in Major League Baseball I don't like the whole top heavy thing that you saw really in the late 90s and the early part of 2000s you look at it, the teams that were good then were the teams that were stacked and they were they were cherry picking players off teams that weren't as fortunate teams that weren't competing at the very moment I want to see parity and parity has come back over the last five or so years. Because of parity, teams like the Oakland Athletics, the Baltimore Orioles, 
2011, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Teams like that have as much of a chance to win it all as the teams that have spent the most money. And in this case would be the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Los Angeles Angels of the world. The teams that have the most resources. Parity. I'm telling you, it's what it, where it needs to be in baseball. Every fan of every team should go into spring training feeling like they have the opportunity to win. And it's not always the case. But I tell you, I think more teams than not have the opportunity to win. Would I put the Seattle Mariners in that group? Uh, listen, I'd be crazy to do that. I'm not going to go that far. I think they can win some games. I think they can surprise some people, particularly if the Oakland Athletics fall a little bit or even Texas or the Angels drop a little bit from what the expectations are. I think if that happens, then I think it'll be something interesting to look at that maybe the Mariners could pick up a couple games. But in my opinion, I don't, I don't see them winning the division. I think the AL West is going to be a very difficult division. It's going to be tough for the Seattle Mariners to be able to compete. I like the Michael Morse acquisition. I do like some of the other young pitchers in addition to King Felix. They got some good relievers, but I just don't think they have enough power to be able to compete with the other teams. But to close this point, what Jack Zarednik, the general manager, is saying that when this team rebuilds, when this team gets it to where their young pitchers develop, some of their younger position players, a Dustin Ackley, a Kyle Seeger, a couple guys like that, develop and become big-time players, King Felix is still going to be there. They are still going to have one of the best pitchers in this era of Major League Baseball. And I say second only to Justin Verlander. And you could debate with me all you want. Maybe we could have a debate. I don't know. And there are some, a lot of other very good pitchers. Roy Holiday has been very good over the last several years. You know, last year, not 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 mistaken. You know, Clayton Kershaw. You know, other guys you could bring up in the conversation. But it's Justin Verlander, number one. King Felix, number two. And I'm glad to see that Felix Hernandez is not going to the Yankees, is not going to the Phillies, is not going to the Dodgers or the Angels or the Tigers. He is not going to go to one of the top heavy payroll spending teams. He's going to stay in Seattle, the team that drafted him, the team that has he has stuck with this entire time. And I give not only the Seattle Mariners credit, but I give Felix credit. And, and you say, why would I give Felix Hernandez credit? The guy's getting paid a lot. And that's a lot of money to agree to. That's a great nest egg to have over the next seven years of your professional playing career. But I think King Felix could have very easily gone out there and said, I want to play for a winner. I want to win now. And that would have changed the whole thing. If Felix Hernandez was not comfortable in Seattle, if he did not want to be a Seattle Mariner, then he very easily could have just simply asked for a trade. And maybe Jack Zarednik does it. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe, maybe he trades him. But let's be honest. You have to look at it this way. The, the Mariners and Felix Hernandez both, in my opinion, did a great job here. The Mariners got themselves a star pitcher that they're going to have for the next you know, five to ten years. And I say five to ten because you never know where the Mariners are. You never know what happens. Injuries happen all the time. Maybe he isn't the same pitcher. Maybe the Mariners decide you know, a couple years down the road that they do want to trade him. But the, the likeliness of a trade happening right now is not very good. And it's great to see him sticking with the Seattle Mariners. We definitely got other things that I do want to hit up on. Um, talking talking this way, I've, I've, we got into the Chris Carpenter thing the other day on my Bases Empty blog. You check that out on Um I wrote you know, a pretty, pretty long article in regards to breaking down the career of Chris Carpenter. And, of course, if you, if you all don't know by now, Carpenter will most likely miss the entire 2013 season after you know injuries from the thoracic outlet syndrome and his shoulder is just not responding to you know whatever whatever treatment or whatever uh, regular limbering up exercises that he's trying to get together and he will likely miss this entire season and it's the second straight year we've gone through this with Chris Carpenter you know last year he ends up making a couple starts at the end of September 
and ends up pitching in the postseason for the Cardinals. He actually didn't do a bad job. This wasn't vintage Carpenter. He wasn't at his best, I think, this past postseason. But he was he was effective. He pitched well enough to keep his team in the games. And I think that, that could be commended. But this is another unfortunate situation because you're looking at a guy that historically throughout his career has been a phenomenal pitcher. He has done a very good job. He's gone out there. His winning percentage, not just with, not just overall, which is over 600, I believe a 603 winning percentage he owns for his career, but his winning percentage with the St. Louis Cardinals is ridiculous. He has a 683 winning percentage in his career for the St. Louis Cardinals since he came over, since he ended up being signed after the Toronto Blue Jays gave up on him. And amongst pitchers who have made their first 100 starts with an organization, there is only one pitcher in baseball history that has had a higher winning percentage through their first 100 starts with a new team. Chris Carpenter's 75-25 and 25 in his first 100 starts with the St. Louis Cardinals. Cy Young also did that, 75-25, and 25, but only Pedro Martinez did better. He went 78-22 and 22 in his first 100 starts with the Boston Red Sox. And if you put together what Carpenter has done in the postseason, his 10-4 record with a 3 ERA, being part of two World Series championship teams, pitching a lot of big games, none more important than that Game 5 2011 game in the NLDS against the Philadelphia Phillies and his buddy Roy Halladay. Carpenter, honestly, has had a very good career. And you want to talk Hall of Fame? Listen, I think Hall, the Hall of Fame discussion is a little tough when it comes to Chris Carpenter for this reason. The injuries have been too often. And it's unfortunate because you could tell the guy battles. You could tell the guy gives everything he could possibly give to get back into things. He has come back from labrum injuries, Tommy John surgeries, this thoracic outlet syndrome, back injuries. The guy has had every injury known to man, and he's come back and is, has done a phenomenal job. But his longevity is really what keeps him out of the Hall of Fame. Honestly, there aren't too many pitchers. If you look at the whole 600 winning percentage, the 683 winning percentage with the St. Louis Cardinals, if you look at Hall of Fame pitchers, you know a lot of them have winning percentages in that, that category. And there are very few pitchers that have winning percentages in that category that end up not in the Hall of Fame. And I just don't think Carpenter was phenomenal, you know, at the stage of his excellence for a long enough period of time. And I think that's something that hurts him. But this guy's going to get Hall votes. I mean, if, if 2012 was his last season, if he's done, if he never pitches another major league game, I could very reasonably see this guy getting enough Hall of Fame votes to stay on the ballot. Is is he up there with Kurt Schilling? I think his postseason numbers are comparable to a Kurt Schilling or a John Smoltz. I mean, they're better than Jack Morris's. And Jack Morris may or may not get in the Hall of Fame. You know, that's a whole other discussion. But his his numbers, number one is a postseason pitcher. Number two is winning percentage. And number three the fact that he, he has consistently gone out there and pitched for winning teams. The St. Louis Cardinals have been good his entire time there. They are on the borderline, if not in the playoffs, just about every season. And a lot has to do with what Carpenter has done as the ace of that pitching staff. So, in my opinion, I think, listen, Chris Carpenter, in my opinion, is good enough to be a consistent um, a consistent returnee on the Hall of Fame ballot from five to the next 20 years. But unfortunately, he'll fall a little short. And maybe with a strengthened class, when you get some other guys on a ballot that are more, you know, are more, you know, first or second timers that are going to make it in, uh, it might take some votes away. Maybe he ends up leaving the ballot after, you know, three or four seasons. But I do, I can see, you know, 5% to me is not a lot to give a guy who has done what Chris Carpenter has done. 
And listen, I think a lot's certainly going to have to do with what kind of players, what kind of pitchers are out on the ballot year in and year out. But I think this is a situation where you're looking at a guy that should get whole consideration for an extended period of time. You know, is he a Hall of Famer? No. Is he going to get as many votes as a Kurt Schilling or, you know, Mike Messina gets next season? No. You know, guys like John Smoltz, when they get on a ballot, Glavin and Maddox and, you know, all the, all the guys that are coming up, Randy Johnson. Yeah, they're, they're all either going to get in the Hall of Famer or they're going to get a considerable amount of votes and get pretty close. I don't see that happening with Chris Carpenter, but he does need to be respected. He really does need to be respected as, as a very good pitcher, as one of the top pitchers, of, in my opinion, the last 10 years. And you take his, you know, his, his uh, Tommy John surgery, the injury that cost him most of 2007 and 2008 aside, you take that aside, but the guy has been very good before that and after that. Even, even his last full season in 2011, the 11 and 9 season, led the league in innings pitched, led the league in batter's face, starts made, and did a phenomenal, phenomenal job in the postseason. And he's a guy whose story should be told in a place like Cooperstown. You know, you got kids and you want to know about Chris Carpenter, a guy who had all these ailments and continued to go out there and battle. And, and I would be happy, honestly, as a baseball fan, I would enjoy seeing him try to make another comeback. It looks unlikely at this point. It does look unlikely. But I would be rooting for this guy to try to make one more comeback. Once again, it's John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. What we're going to do is we're going to take a little bit of a break. we got just music today, unfortunately. You know, we're in a different studio today. We don't have the, uh, the sound bites. We don't have the, you know, the ads and stuff like that. But we'll, we'll catch up all on that next week. Uh, yeah, we definitely will. And when I when I re uh, when I program the show, we'll throw some ads in to you know appease our people at MTR Radio and MTRMedia.com. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a quick break, and we're gonna get into my guest, uh, Mark Brewer, should be joining the program in a little bit. So back after this. This is a past ball show on the MTR Radio Network. Of course, this is John Pielli. Uh, welcome back to the program. Of course, we've touched on Chris Carpenter, Felix Hernandez. Uh, we definitely got a whole lot of talk about when it comes to the PEDs and the steroids, and you know, from what Kurt Schilling said to you know A Rod and Ryan Braun. I'm definitely going to touch on a lot of that in a little bit. But first, what we are going to do is we're going to we're going to reach out to our first. Uh, guest of the day and once again we're going to have to type the number in so bear with me we're going to be talking with Mark Brewer and Mark Brewer is a uh, pitching coach in the New York Mets organization he's been a long time uh, major league coach for over 20 years now he started out with uh, the University of Texas with Oral Roberts this is with the Rangers Dodgers organization the Royals organization and has spent a good portion of the last five to seven years with the New York Mets organization so we're going to hear in a little bit from Mark Brewer. So we're going to see how this goes. And uh, we're definitely going to get into the show here on the Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. This is John Pielli. And we'll see how this turns out. I told you we got some other guests coming on later on in the program. And we'll see how this ends up turning out. <laughs> <laughs> 
once again, we're uh, trying to reach Mark Brewer, who's been a long time. Hello. Is this Mark? Hey, no, this is Mark. Hey, can I speak, yeah. can I speak to Mark? This is he. Hey, how you doing, buddy? It's John Pielli from the Passball Show on TR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Okay, brother. All right, man, listen, man, so let's start out. You talk a little bit about this uh, this independent tryout camp you're running down in, uh, I believe, Florida. Well, I'm in uh, St. Pete, and uh, I, I worked with a uh, guy in uh, 1990 and 91 in Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, for the Salt Lake Trappers named Nick Belmonte. And Nick is... Uh, in charge of player personnel for uh, a few different clubs uh, uh, that are independent clubs, uh, you know, over, over across the country, and uh, he uh, invited me to come in here and help him with uh, a bunch of guys at uh, uh, the pitching part of it uh, here in Florida, get these guys ready to uh, move out to the independent clubs, uh, uh, and they'll just be dispersed out. Uh, across the, the United States in different independent uh, league uh, uh, cities. Okay, man. So how's that turning out? You, you, so you get you get a chance to work with a lot of pitchers, just kind of going through regular routines and stuff like that. Absolutely. Uh, we're trying to build these guys up. Uh, you know, everybody everybody's got a, a specific role that. Uh, they're slated to be in uh, when they go out to their respective cities, and uh, we're just trying to build the starters up to uh, five to six inning and 80 pitch uh, uh, pitch count previous to, to the season starting up, and uh, getting the relievers into uh, games and, and situations uh, that they're going to be in when the season starts. Now that sounds great, man. Now you know as you're as you're watching these pitchers as you know you're kind of working with them and stuff like that is there anything that's kind of just like storing in the back of your mind like let's say you're working with a pitcher you think he's got some real good stuff you follow him off to the independent league do you kind of store in your head like later on like maybe you're with an organization or something you say hey let's take a chance on this guy no doubt about it and we've already seen uh three or four guys that uh I'm scratching my head and wondering why they're going to pitch uh, in independent ball. Yeah, and I, I mean, you always see that, man. I tell you, there's, 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 you know, pitchers, position players. They, you know, they seem to come out of, out of nowhere sometimes, and you wonder, you know, how come major league teams haven't been contacting these guys? Well, you know, uh, there's plenty of scouts out there, but uh, you know as well as I do, uh, you've been studying baseball for a while, so uh, you know guys get overlooked and. and and, uh, and that's what the independent uh, uh, leagues are all about, uh, uh, besides uh, giving fans something to go watch in the, the respective cities. Now, that's awesome, man. So you're, you're, you're watching these guys develop, you're working with them, and you're also looking for the diamond and a rough, man. So you obviously got a lot of stuff going on there. Now, listen, are, uh, are you still uh, with the Mets organization? No, I'm not. I was letting go at the end of the season last year in October actually in October, uh, and uh, I am not affiliated with anybody at this point. Okay. Now, as far as last year, you were the pitching coach for the Buffalo Bisons of, uh, you know, you know, AAA baseball. Tell us a little bit about how things went last year and, you know, what, what direction you see those type of players going. All right. Well, uh, last year was a, a, a very good year, uh, unfortunately, uh, or uh, – Unfortunately, we had to do our job, and that was to send quite a few guys up from AAA to uh, the big league club. Uh, and uh, but but uh, we started off real well. Uh, I was uh, with uh, uh, well, it's uh, all of a sudden. Oh, I was with the the manager up there in in, in Buffalo, uh, and uh, had a great time up there. We started off real well. Uh, I had. Uh, uh, Wally Backman and I were, uh, and uh, uh, Wally was the manager, obviously. Uh, we had some guys like Harvey. We had some guys that I'd never seen before, come new free agents coming into the uh, organization. We had a great time. At the beginning of the season, we were hot and we were doing real well. And as the season went on, obviously, we uh, had to send some guys up, which is our job. And, and uh, we didn't finish on the note that we started on, that's for sure. Yeah, I'll tell you though, it's kind of like uh, you know a win, a win, you know win lose lose win type of thing because 
Yeah, listen, the, you know, the, the, uh, a sign of, let's say, your success as a coach, you know, kind of getting these guys where they need to go is to get them to the next level. So you're kind of you're kind of split between that and trying to win. You know how, how do you feel, how do you feel about that a little bit? I mean, it's a you know it's got to be kind of tough because you want to see these guys go to the next level, and you know in that instance it's from AAA to the pros. But yeah, at this at the same time, the team that you got there, you wanna you wanna achieve the most success with the team that you got. Absolutely, but but you know this, I've I've been doing this for quite a while, over twenty years, and and. And uh, uh, you know, our job was to, to keep them keep them healthy and make them better and, and make them major league caliber championship type players. Yeah, no question. And you know, obviously, from what a lot of the, a lot of the pitchers, especially coming up with the Mets system, it looks like you definitely did your job. Now, you know, how, how was it working for Wally Backman? Yeah, you know, what kind what kind of manager is he? Not only to the players, but to the fellow coaches on the staff. Well. Wally did it the right way, you know. He 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 gave us indication of what he expected at the beginning of the year, and uh, uh, you know Wally's uh, got a tremendous uh, personality, uh, and uh, he's not afraid to let you know uh, what he's thinking. And it was real after after getting to know him. I didn't even know Wally very well, uh, even though he'd been with the Mets organization. I I was coordinating in Latin America. So I didn't spend a lot of time with Wally, but once I got to know Wally uh, with his background and his expertise uh, at running a, a, a team, it was a, it was a great time. But Wally, Wally's a, a class act when it comes to uh, keeping you uh, keeping you aware of what he wants and, and telling you the truth all the time. Yeah, no question about it, man. Now listen, let's t- tell us a little bit about how you got started in into coaching. You know, obviously you know. You never made it to the major leagues, but you, you've had a really long career as far as coaching pitchers, which goes back to, I believe, was it 1992 with the University of Texas? Well, actually, I started before that. I was okay. with Oral Roberts University, Oral Roberts University before uh, in 1988-89. Uh, and after a year with Oral Roberts University, uh, I was uh, contacted by a friend of mine that is the general manager for the Ogden Raptors now, a guy named Dave Baggett, uh, and uh, he was a friend of my brother's, and uh, he asked me if I'd be interested in, in, in uh, being a pitching coach for the independent team, the Salt Lake Trappers in Salt Lake. Uh, I uh, met one of the owners, Van Schley. Uh, uh, they interviewed me in Salt Lake, flew me into Salt Lake uh, in 1990. Also, one of the owners was Bill Murray, the the, the comedian, and and, really? uh, and his brother, and, and several other guys. But I uh, went up there, and Nick and I uh, uh, got together. Nick Belmonte was the manager, like I said earlier, uh, in '90 and '91, and I was there in '90 and '91. We we won our division in 1990, and in 1991 we completed the uh, 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 winning the championship in the Pioneer League. Uh, and and after that, I decided I was going to try to go back into college, went to work for Cliff Gustafson at the University of Texas in the fall of 92, and in the, about 10 games into the spring of 93, I got a call from a guy named Dave Wallace who was a uh, uh, well, used to work for the Mets, uh, uh, has worked for the Dodgers, and is now the coordinator of pitching for the Atlanta Braves. He flew in and uh, interviewed me in Austin, Texas. I got a call from Charlie Blaney, who was the minor league director at that time for the Los Angeles Dodgers, and they hired me out of the University of Texas. I was a limited income coach at the University of Texas that particular year, and was making about $16,500 a year. And uh, when I had a chance to double my salary, I took advantage of that. And Cliff Gustafson, the the coach at the time at the University of Texas, uh, told me that I had to do it. It was uh, an opportunity I couldn't pass up. So uh, uh, I thank him for doing that. And uh, I started uh, with the Dodgers, and, and my first spot was in Great Falls, Montana, in the Rookie League. Now that's awesome, man. Now, now you know as as you move as you move forward, I mean, you know, I think you you, you got to kind of get, in my opinion, a little bit lucky to be, you know, you be in a situation where you're you're coaching baseball, and all of a sudden you get the opportunity to coach, 
you know, a ma- you know, in a major league baseball organization. So, you know, was there ever any a time that you were there and you just realized you're like, listen, I I really do belong. Oh, absolutely. You know, my my, my father played 17 years in the big leagues, uh, 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 and 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 I've never known anything else but baseball. I I started bat boying in Dodger Stadium when I was seven, eight years old working in the clubhouse uh, 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 for Novi Kawano, the clubhouse manager for the Dodgers back then. And, and you know, I, I was on the field all the time. If I wasn't in Oklahoma going to school, uh, I was in uh, Los Angeles or uh, in, in, in the suburbs of Los Angeles traveling with my father and my mother and my family. Yeah, no question. Listen, Mark, I want to thank you for having some time today. Really appreciate you, you being part of the program. All right. Thank you very much for calling me. Anytime, man. Take care. Yeah, that was Mark Brewer, who is, uh, as you find out, is no longer with the Mets organization, but spent a long time um, in the Mets organization. Coached was a pitching coach for Binghamton in 2006, New Orleans, who was the Mets AAA affiliate at the time in 2007, and then, of course, um, you know, most recently for the uh, was it the Binghamton team in 2010, the Gulf Coast team in 2011, of course, with Wally Backman and the the bisons in um 2012 so great job appreciate it. definitely having i hope you guys enjoyed that one i thought it was a good good spot there um we're gonna move right into things though we're gonna get a hold right now of justin miller who's a former major league pitcher for the toronto blue jays florida marlins san francisco giants los angeles dodgers and pitched up until most recently 2011 so we're gonna give him a ring right now and you know, hopefully we can talk a little baseball with Justin Miller. So we're gonna give him a call now. We'll see how this turns out. And I always, I always think this is fun, man. I like, I like dialing numbers and just seeing, you know, if we get people to pick up. And listen, it's one of the greatest things you could do, honestly, from this end. So this is a passball show, Hello? Justin. Yeah. Hey, what's going on, John Pielli? Passball show on TR Radio Network. What's going on? Hey, how are you? Good, man. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Yeah, for sure. No problem. Hey, listen, man. First, uh, you know, take a couple minutes. Tell us a little bit about the uh, baseball, softball, and personal training, uh, you know, academy you got going on. Um, yeah, we just set it up. It was one of those things, you know, uh, I hung him up from baseball. My son just graduated. So, um, I've I had about the same education he had. So, <laughs> What, what, what do I know how to do? I know how to play baseball. So we went ahead and go went and I, I set it up with that. Um, met a met a buddy who a mutual friend that was uh, doing personal training in the same facility where I'm same complex where I'm at. We got together and just trying to rock it out from there. Yeah. So so, so how, how's that going, man? You want to? I'll just give you a quick plug right here. Tell us a little bit about okay. you know how you know if you you know if you're interested in it and stuff like that where it's located and you know how to get yeah we're there. we're in uh, Clearwater Florida um, corner of Drew and 19 uh, right across from the Phillies uh, spring training complex um, you know again we we're 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 getting to the point where you know we're we're just having fun doing it with it. You know, I think the one thing that we're really trying to separate our, ourselves with is the, uh, the mental approach. You know, I, I tell, I can tell all the parents is, you know, you, you, you can train physical so much, but if you're not backing it up with the mental, what, what good is the physical for? Cause ultimately we're trying to create good, successful human beings no matter what they're doing. Yeah, no question, man. I'll tell you, you bring up a great point there because you see a lot of, uh, players as they come up, whether they end up making the major leagues or not, but you, you look at a right. lot of players that have a ridiculous amount of God-gifted talent. And, sure. you know, because of, you know, issues about, you know, dealing with adversity and stuff like that, you know, the mental approach to the game really ends up being their downfall. So I think that's an right, excellent right. point. And, and I, I, I was one of those people, you know, like, um, you know, it's, it's not that the mental part wasn't there for, for my taking. It was just that I didn't take advantage of the mental part. I just tried to get by with the physical part. And the funny thing is, you know, the, when I got to the big leagues, my first first outing, first appearance, I hit my first two batters because I forgot how to throw baseball. And, you know, that, that that has really stuck with me. So, you know, we really try to just let, 
let the kids know, you know, that it starts right now, you know, with the mental, the rhythm, and the focus. No, no question about it. Once again, this is John Pielli. I'm here with former Major League pitcher Justin Miller. Now, when you're talking about the, the mental approach, I mean, is this, is this, is this something where, like, is, is it necessarily something that is by the book? Or are you more like you using, know, let's say, like your personal experience to try to pass it on to other people? I, I, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, um, I, I've always been really big into um, visualization, um, following the breath. After I played in Japan, um, I came back, and I think my, my stuff uh, physically had diminished, but I was a way better pitcher than I was before I went to Japan. But Japan, I had better stuff before I went to Japan. Was throwing harder, but let's get my butt pounded out there. When I went out to Japan, I, I really learned about the mental part of baseball, and uh, I think for it, um, every kid. Oh, I want to teach them, teach them as individuals, not as, uh, as as a whole. You know, so it's really getting to know the kid and see what gets him ticking. But you know, I think it, it starts with the development of a routine. Yeah, no question, man. And uh, you know, def- definitely keep up the good work with that. Now, you know, on under your under your playing career, you came up, you know, obviously made your major league debut with the Toronto Blue Jays in two thousand two. Did right. you know, as, as far as being a starting pitcher, did did you really yep. feel like that was you, or did you see yourself eventually becoming a relief pitcher? Um, I, I think uh, mentally, I was always a relief pitcher. Um, okay. I'm definitely one of those guys that just needed the phone to ring. Less time to think, grab the ball, and start going. Um, you know, as a starter, your routine becomes four days. It starts after your after your last pitch of that game, and you start your routine, and you work it for the next four days. As a reliever, you break that routine down into whatever, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes every day. So, you know, I definitely think I always had the mentality of a reliever, and I, I knew eventually it was going to happen, and I think just the uh, – uh, the, the, when I had surgery after my rookie year, you know, they kind of just sped up the process of that happening. Yeah, no question. And I'll tell you, you're, you know, you're, the, the numbers really back up what you just said, because obviously yeah. you enjoyed your be- your best major league success, you know, with the Marlins, 2007, 2008, a little bit with the Giants afterwards. Yeah. Uh, did you did you did you eventually? I guess I guess you fell into you know your role, your niche of like where it was right. in the bullpen. Like you said, you know, you, you know the phone rings, you know when you're going to get ready to go. So, so that, sure. that was that was kind of your whole deal, right? You're just you know you just right, kind of ready for the call. You go in and get the right, captain. right. Yeah, and and the thing is too, you know, as as you become a believer and you start knowing the situations of the games, um, you, you have a pretty idea, good idea of your role in the bullpen, and and when the phone rings, you know, you usually know if it's going to be you or not. Um, and then again, what I really appreciate out of the bullpen was how we all relied on each other. You know, if I come in with the runner on third base, right-hander up, lefty on deck, I one out. My job was to strike the guy out. If I didn't strike him out, I was going to walk him, and then I was going to let the lefty come in and do the job. So um, I, re- I really remember in 2007, our, our bullpen in Florida really came together like that, where we never gave in to a hitter, and if we didn't get the job done, we had all the confidence in the person coming in behind us to, to back that up. Because, uh, especially when I was with Florida, you know, you don't hear too many, too much about right handed specialists, but that's kind of what my job was there, you know. And I, I loved it because every day I could pitch, you know. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, so I, I would I would guess I would uh, would assume that that was probably the best bullpen that you were part of, that 2017, right? Right, right, yeah. You know, I, been, I think I've been a part of good, a lot of good bullpens, but. Just, uh, you know, I think in the way that I was personally utilized then was was the best suited for me. You know, now, as, as your career goes, you know, teams need you to do different things and you adjust. But um, there, there's something to be said about going to the ballpark every day. I think you're going to get in there for an out or two, you know. And I, I was always a guy that liked um, appearances over innings, you know. So I took, I took pride in having those appearances. Yeah, no question. Now, you know, going back to that 2007 team, of course, you know, you you may or may not know, I'm I'm a pretty good Mets fan. How, how did, I know exactly how did where it, you're going. <laughs> how, how did it feel 
during that last series of the season. Right. For you guys to right. go out there and knock the Mets out of the playoffs. Well, you know, the funny thing is, was, I mean, I, I remember that last day going to the field. It felt like. Me too. The only thing I could compare it to was, like, a boxer going into the, into the ring, you know. But the funny thing with that whole way that it panned out was that huge fight we had the day before. Yeah. You know, so so we had this. Yeah, I think that you guys had to win two out of three, and we ended up winning two out of three. But uh, for the second game, I mean, it was just a huge old brawl. So then it all came down to to one one game, winner take all. You know, for, for in your guys' situation, and you know we were trying to play the spoilers, and uh, you know it, it was pretty. It was a pretty silly. It felt like we were going to the playoffs if we won. Yeah, yeah, and actually, that's what I wanted to touch on. Was it, you know, it, uh, for a team that, you know, obviously, you know, may, maybe underachieved, maybe didn't live up to all expectations, right. you know, obviously every team wants to get to the postseason. Did did for you sure. have that, like, like that energy as you would have towards, like, a playoff game going into, you know, not only that last game, but yeah. that entire three-game series? Yeah, the, the, the whole series was, was I mean, the, the way the coaching staff handled it, the way they brought it in, you know, um, they we we played to 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 do exactly what we did, which was knock the mess out of the playoffs. You know, we played every game to win, but uh, the the intensity level was up, the uh, concentration was up, and I think everybody was just really really focused because it was something that not too many of us had had, had really experienced because we were a younger team. Yeah, no question about it. And I tell you, like you know, from the team you know before with Joe Girardi as the manager in 2006, right. and obviously. Uh, uh, Freddie Gonzalez took over there. I mean, they, they both sure. seem to have the mentality of listen. If, if if there's a team that's winning, let's see how let's let's see what winning's like. Watch it, absorb right. it, take it. Right, in. right. And I think it really rubbed off on a lot of the Marlins players. You know, unfortunately, they they you know just you're not looking at a playoff team in that time. But I think there was a right. lot of players that ended up taking that with them, and you know, well, as they yeah. moved on, probably became more more winning ball players. Right. That, no, that's a great point because again, you can see those Marlins teams. You know, guys that have come on, gone on to other organizations after, um, they've fairly, you know, they've had a lot of good players come through that organization. Um, whether it be trades early for a young prospect that develops into good players, or if they're drafted, um, and it, it, it gave everybody a sense of what what it. What it, what, what it could feel like, you know, again, like I said, winning that last game felt like we were going to the playoffs. Yeah, no question, man. Once again, this is John Pielli. I'm here with former Major League pitcher Justin Miller. Now, you know, I, I, I get into this a lot with players, particularly ones that, you know, career ends up kind of going downhill. They end up they end up finishing up their career. Tell us a little right. bit about the end. You know, you end up pitching for the yeah. Dodgers in 2010. You know, you pitched in the yeah. minor leagues in 2011. Was there right. ever any a point where you just like, listen, I'm I'm just kind of done? I think that going into, into 2011, it's not necessarily I was going into it thinking I'm done. Um, I, I signed with Seattle Mariners, and uh, I ended up having an out of my contract at the end of the first month. Um, I, I live in Tampa, Florida. I was in Tacoma, Washington, you know, uh, married with two children. I felt like I could have been in Hawaii or Japan, you know, as far as a flight that is if I ever wanted to get my family out there. Um, so when when the opportunity came at the end of the first month for me to to go explore other options, you know, I, I, I took it and um, ended up hooking up with Texas right away. And, you know, what happened was basically I uh, – I'll never forget. It. We're, I was pitching in Las Vegas. Um, they had me closing, and I go out there, and for the first two months, I've been throwing really well. The one day, I I, I couldn't throw strikes. I couldn't figure out why. Nothing was hurting. And long story short, I ended up I, I, I wasn't feeling the ball in my hand. You know, it's a thoracic outlet syndrome. It's coming up a lot all over the place now. And yeah, it's what Chris Carpenter Right, right, exactly. And it was one of those things where. I wasn't necessarily feeling the pain. Um, I could play catch, but once I got going 100%, um, I wasn't feeling the baseball. And I wasn't putting that together in my head. I was just like, what's going on with me? You know, I just can't throw a strike. But it ended up being a little more than just that. So the, the Rangers ended up releasing me, signed with the Dodgers. The uh, same thing happened over there. And, you know, I went into the offseason kind of rehabbing and feeling good. But, 
um, it was one of those things where if, if a team called me up and said, hey, we want to sign you, I would have signed. Um, I had a couple offers for, you know, tryouts. I played 15 years. I really didn't feel the need to, to try out, you know. <laughs> I felt like 15 years of tryouts was enough. So um, I just took it for what it was, and, you know, I'm completely content on, on what I'm doing now. Yeah, no question about it, man. Now, last thing, man. Uh, you're you're known for you know the tattoos that you got on your arm. Right. You know how, how did it feel when you when you actually had to wear long sleeves over your tattoos? That you know did yeah, that really affect you pitching at all, or is that something you no, really kind of get used not, to? No, not not at all. You know there, it was, there, there there were certain days when I would pitch. You know if I have the option to not wear sleeves, would I? Of course not. But you know at the end of the day, did, did I break any records? No, but I made a rule, and that's pretty freaking cool. <laughs> not too many people can make a rule, you know. So um, it's one of those things. I thought it would probably happen. You know, I don't know how come I, I, I'm the only one singled out, you know. But uh, it is what it is, and you know, the way the Under Armour makes those things now, it's pretty comfortable. Yeah, no question about it. Listen, Justin, I want to thank you for having some time today. Appreciate having a chance to talk to you. Hopefully, I can get you on the show sometime in the near future. Anytime, brother. I really appreciate it. Anytime, man. Best of luck with the uh, with the camp. Right. Thank you, man. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Yeah, it was Justin Miller, former Major League pitcher, pitched with the Blue Jays, the Marlins, the Giants, the Dodgers. Of course, you know, as a baseball fan, you know, you know, you, you follow you follow players, you follow teams, and one team that I obviously follow pretty strongly, or probably, or probably was as much, you know, following their day to day operations was the 2007 uh, Florida Marlins team, and I tell you. You know, going into that last series against the New York Mets in the you know the end of that season when the Mets were on that historic and hideous collapse, which obviously is is the greatest, if not one of the greatest collapses in the history of professional baseball. As that team had a seven-game lead with 17 to go, they end up blowing a division with the Phillies end up winning. And listen, that that series against the Marlins. You know, the Friday game to the Saturday game where John Main had that no-hitter going and the brawl and everything. And going into that Sunday game where I knew I made it down there, it was uh, me and a buddy of mine, we watched that game, and it really, uh, listen, it, it broke our hearts. But uh, it's the way things go out. And, uh, you know, good good thing getting some uh, perspective from Justin. And obviously the Marlins, who weren't making the playoffs that season, had no chance to make the playoffs that season, played it like a playoff game. And I tell you, that's the way all games should be teams that stink near the end of the season should not lay down and the Marlins did their job there so I give them a lot of credit for uh, for beating the Mets in that last game kicking them out of the playoffs but uh, in regards to the Marlins they did uh, uh, if you follow they just signed John Roush to a one-year contract for about one million dollars and if you look at it from from a financial perspective and I know the Marlins aren't really going anywhere this year I gotta be honest I think that's a good move for them you know, Roush made three and a half million for the Mets, and honestly, you may disagree with me. He was worth three and a half million. He had some ups and downs, but pitching seventy-three games for the Mets was a consistent, you know, seventh slash eighth inning pitcher. He went out there, he got some outs. Yeah, he got hit up sometimes, but I think it was worth what the Mets paid for him last year. And if you look, listen, I understand the Marlins aren't going to compete; they're not contending this year. But to have Roush in a, a part of the bullpen that he's going to be, listen, for one million dollars plus some incentives, in my opinion. I think that was a very good deal. I mean, even with all the incentives, he'll make half of what he made last season. So, you know, looking at that, I do think it's a bargain. You know, we're going to get in a lot of other stuff. I do want to get on the Pets situation. Hopefully we'll be able to speak with uh, Gavin Sacchini, the Mets' uh, 2012 first-round draft pick. Um, I want to get into some similarities between the 1960-71 and 79 Pirate teams. And maybe we'll open up the phone lines. We'll get into that in a little bit. But we're going to take a quick break. Be back with a lot more going on in the past ball show. John Pielli, back after this.